I want us to pray before I preach to you this morning and before we continue on in our service. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I know that many of you are here for different reasons this morning, but the Lord knew that you was going to be here. You may be here visiting family, and that's great, and it's wonderful. It's wonderful when families can come together. Nothing breaks my heart more than seeing families that's fragmented and torn apart, especially in this season. So it's wonderful when families can come together and put things aside and worship together. And Father, I'm asking you right now, in the name of Jesus, to touch our hearts and touch our lives today all throughout this service, every part of it. Help us to open our ears. Help us to receive what you want to give us today. Lord, if there's things in our life that doesn't need to be there, then remove it, I pray, as we give our heart to you all over again, afresh and anew. This season, Lord, is all about giving. And God, help us to give back to you. Help us to give of ourself to you. We know the word tells us it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so God, let us give ourselves from our head to our toe. Let us check ourselves. Let us look at our heart. Let us see who we are as your people. Are we lining up with the way you want us to? And if we can't say that, then Father, I pray that we surrender to you. And we give everything to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated this morning. Just play softly just for a second, Sister Michelle, if you don't mind. I want to read a couple of scriptures to you this morning out of Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. I want to be talking to you and finish up, finishing up our series about uh, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with him? What are you going to do with this man called Jesus? What are you going to do with this man called Lord that we preach about every Sunday to you, that you come and you worship every Sunday? What are you going to do with him? Here's the thing that I've noticed about the Lord is that God is a God of every circumstance. It doesn't matter what's going on. He's a God of every circumstance. Sometimes we read the Christmas story, and we'll do that this morning, and we'll talk a little bit about Jesus coming, Sister Sue, in a manger, in a sort of a cutout cave, if you will, talking about God's Son. That was no place for God's Son to be born, was it? We'll talk a little bit about that, but he had no crib. He had no bed, so to speak. He had no soft place, if you will, to lay his head other than maybe the pine straw or the hay that they had there in the little cave or the little inn that the Bible talks about, and we'll share a little bit about that with you. But, but he's the God of every circumstance. It wasn't a surprise to God that the, it happened that way. It's a surprise to us sometimes, but it wasn't a surprise to God. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, this is what the Bible tells us. It says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. 
And then in Luke chapter 2, verse 7, a real, real familiar scripture that I've read to you probably three or four times already this month. It says this, And she brought forth her firstborn son. You wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. How many knows the Son of God from heaven? He comes to earth. He's born in a stable because the Bible said there was no room for him in the inn. We hear this so often and we take that scripture so, so for granted so often. But when, really when you think about it, it just simply doesn't seem right. It just doesn't seem right. Thank you, Sister Michelle. It doesn't seem right that this took place the way that it took place. So then the question is, what's wrong with the picture? What's wrong with this story? Well, the answer is real simple. When you look at the scripture, Jesus doesn't belong in that place, we think. He doesn't belong there. I mean, he's the son of God from heaven. He doesn't deserve to be treated like a criminal. He doesn't deserve to be treated like a vagrant. He deserves the best the world has to offer. If anybody would ask you that, every one of us probably would say the same thing. He deserves the very, very best. So he comes from heaven to earth. He ends up in a stable. And so why is there no room for the son of God? Why is there no room? Now, I want you to think about that question all the way through my message this morning. Why is there no room for the Son of God? If you go today and you visit Bethlehem, you'll find a city that's fairly large. You'll find a city that's, that's bustling and, and people all around and, and, and just walking and they're shopping and all kinds of things that's going around. It's a bustling Arab town located about seven or eight miles south of Jerusalem. But in Jesus' day, Bethlehem was a very, very tiny village. It was a very tiny town, a, a small, out-of-the-way village, one of the least important towns of all Judea. A, a, a few shepherds lived there. Possibly some farmers lived there. There was a few merchants that lived there, and that was about it. It was a small Jewish village made famous only because it was the King David's uh, hometown, and that's the only reason that was famous of that day. When you look back at the story, there's one part of the story that involved a man by the name of Caesar Augustus. He lived in a faraway Rome who, who was prompted by God. I don't want you to forget that. He was prompted by God. He was decreed that a census be taken so that taxes could be collected throughout the empire. The census required that all Jewish males go back to their ancestral hometowns to register. And so since Joseph was a descendant from David, he had to return to Bethlehem. He didn't live there, but that's where he was from. And the Bible said as it happened that Mary was in her final stages of pregnancy when they arrived in Bethlehem. God God, the Bible said and tells us, he arranged everything so that the emperor issued a decree at just the right moment and in just the right way, at just the right time, that Mary and Joseph arrived in Bethlehem so that they were exactly, uh, they were exactly at the same place that the prophet Micah said that they would be when Jesus was going to be born in Micah chapter 5 verse 2. 
If I was to take you back there today and we could visit that place, this inn that the Bible talked about in this Roman Empire, there was not a single inn in that, in that city of Bethlehem that was nice as nice as the average holiday inn that we know today. Amen. In those days, travel was dirty. In those days, travel was difficult. In those days, travel was dangerous. Comforts were hard to come by. Travelers needed safety and security from robbers that could be found on every highway. I mean, now you could leave your house and you could go to a certain city and, and you probably could go already go ahead and get registered to have a room and, and, uh, and, and get, a, get a room available for you and you could stay in a nice holiday inn or a comfort inn in suites or whatever you want to stay in. They would have, uh, they would have uh, breakfast in the morning for you and you'd have a nice soft bed and nice soft pillows and all of those things that would be available to you, but it didn't happen that way when Jesus was born. As a matter of fact, the inn that the Bible was talking about was simply a building where you could rest safely during the night. Indoor plumbing was not an option. Anybody grew up in the time where you, you didn't have indoor plumbing? Not very many, but a few. How many remembers the outhouse? Pastor, you don't need to be talking about that on Christmas service. Well, I'm just trying to give you this is, this is where they are. Indoor plumbing was not an option. The inn refers to a small building dedicated to serving travelers. At one end of the building, you tied up your horses, you tied up your donkeys or camels if you had them. For a fee, the innkeeper allowed you to sleep on a rough old little mattress on the floor. He also kept the fire going and provided water for the animals. This was the inn that Jesus mentioned in the parable of the Good Samaritan. But when Luke told the story of Jesus' birth, he used a totally different word for inn in verse number seven. It basically meant a guest room. It was an inn that would even be smaller and even be simpler than the one in Luke chapter 10. As a matter of fact, the animals would be kept in a stable that was nothing more than a cave, a cut out in a cave, or a cut out in a hillside with the low rock walls to keep the animals from wandering off or running off, uh, keep them all together. It was an inn such as this that had no room for Mary and for Joseph and Jesus on that holy night in Bethlehem. And so the question is then, why were they turned? away. I mean, surely the innkeeper could have saw, Sister Marilyn, this little lady was, was with child and she was ready to deliver. She was ready to, uh, to give birth to this baby. And, and surely the innkeeper was smart enough to understand they were struggling. Joseph and Mary was struggling from the long trip. Why were they turned away? It could have easily just been a simple answer as there was simply no more room in the inn. Maybe other descendants of David had come to Bethlehem to, to enroll in the, uh, for the census and be registered. And the innkeeper would not have known Joseph because he was not necessarily uh, living there. He was living in Nazareth, maybe because they were poor and they could not pay the, what the innkeeper wanted them to pay. Maybe the innkeeper, seeing that Mary was, was very pregnant, did not want to drive off the, the other customers. The only thing we know for certain is that there was no room for them in the inn that particular night. There was no room in the inn. Why? Because God wanted it that way. Now let that just sink in just a little bit. God's son coming, born in a stable, born in this cut out of a cave, if you will, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, God's son, that's exactly the way God wanted it that way. And we're gonna, I want to talk to you a little bit about it. 
Why was God wanting that to happen that way? If God had wanted it any other way, then it would have happened any other way. Amen. It's clear that they arrived in Bethlehem just a few days before she gave birth. So there they are in Bethlehem. They were turned away at the inn. The baby was born in a stable, outdoors in the cold with the animals, no doubt nearby. They had no privacy. They had no sanitation. They had very little protection from the elements. Why in the world would God allow his son to be born into a, into a place such as this that we speak about, we sing about, we read scriptures about every year? How many knows that the Bible tells us that Jesus was king of the poor. He was king of the poor. Since he was born in a stable, all the outsiders of the world, and there were far more outsiders than insiders, would feel a kinship to the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about it. By being laid in a manger, he proved himself a priest taken from among men, who, who, who one who has suffered like his brethren, and therefore he could not be touched with the feeling, or he could be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Of him, the Bible says, he said, he doth eat and drink with publicans and with sinners. This man receives sinners, and he receives them. He eats with them. Even as an infant, by being laid in a manger, he was set forth as the sinner's friend. Aren't you thankful for that today, that he was set forth as the sinner's friend? This baby lying in a forgotten, in an, in, in an exposed stable, resting in a, in a feeding trough, if you will, is God's appointed sign to every one of us. Now, you're going to get it in just a little bit, but I can tell you right now that I thank God that he sent his son to be born exactly the way Jesus was born. By that, Brother Sam, I have got access and to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords. If he born in a Hyatt, if he was born in a Holiday Inn, if he was born somewhere in the prestige, us lowly folk, we may not think that we have access to the Father. But can I tell you this morning, you and I, as God's people, we've got access to the King of Kings this morning. Amen. Hallelujah. So there he is, exposed, resting in a feeding trough. This is God's appointed sign. This is true incarnation. God has come to the world in the most unlikely way. You know what's interesting to me? Everywhere I read in the scriptures, God does things totally different than I would have done them. Isn't that amazing? Everything that I would have done this way, God chose to do it the opposite way. God's ways are not like our ways, amen. His ways are higher than our ways, amen. Everything is different. Matter of fact, that's what Philippians 2 and 7 meant. When it said this, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And so if we stand back a little bit and we consider this one aspect of the Christmas story today, there's some amazing truths that comes out of this story. There's some things like this that we learn. We learn something about God. We learn something about the world. We learn something about Jesus. We learn something about his followers. When you look at this, first we learn that God uses adverse circumstances. Now, don't lose me this morning, but listen to me. If you're going through an adverse circumstance today, God does his best work in that. Hallelujah. If you're going through a trial today, don't, don't fret, don't worry. God does his best work in those kind of situations. I mean, when everything is going like I want it to go, God can't really show up, can he? 
Let's just be honest with ourselves, because a lot of times we're not going to give God credit if everything is going the way we want it to go. Hello? But if I'm going through an adverse circumstance, if I'm going through a trial that's beyond my work and my doing, Sister Jeanette, that's where God can work. That's where God can do some things. Tony, that's where God can do some things. That's where God chooses to show up and show out, if you will. Amen. Hallelujah. That's where God will work. It's a sign to every one of us. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. We stand back and we look at this Christmas story. We learn that God uses adverse circumstances that simply makes no sense at the time in order to accomplish his purpose in the future. At first glance, in the fact as is this, that there was no room in the end. It seems like a very insignificant detail in this larger picture, if you will. But if you look at it real closely, I assure you today that it is no small detail to Mary and to Joseph. On that particular night, Sister Mavis, it was not a small detail. It was a huge thing. It was not a small detail. They was turned away at the very moment when the baby was coming. It must have been devastating. Now listen to me. I'm not a woman. I have no idea what it feels like to have a baby. But I'm married to a woman, and I was there two times that this woman of mine gave birth. I didn't like how she looked. I didn't like how she sounded. I didn't like all the pain that she was going through. And I can testify that probably every other woman in this house today, if you've given birth, how would you like to be in Mary's predicament? Ain't nobody going to come give me an epidural. Ain't nobody going to come give me no pain pills. Ain't nobody going to come and bless me. I'm just going to have to suffer in a feeding trough, in a cave, with Joseph. I'm going to kill him. He's the one that brought me here. He's the one that made me leave my humble abode, if you will. There's no room in the inn. We can't find no place. We can't find no hospital. We can't find no doctor nowhere. Think about it. I mean, put yourself in Mary's predicament. I mean, giving birth in a stable. I'm all, you want something to stretch your faith? I'm sure that stretched her faith, this little girl. Think about it. But I have a feeling Mary, in those times, Sister Mavis, she thought back nine months earlier to an angel of the Lord showing up one day and talking to her. I have a feeling she thought back to some of those things that God said to her. But it was no laughing matter. It was devastating. No matter how devout they were, they simply could not have foreseen how this negative turn of events would, would turn out to be a part of God's plan to bring his son into the world. The second thing we learn in this scripture is we learn that the world has no room for Christ. The world had no room for Christ, and it has no room for even Jesus now. John 1 and 11 puts it this way. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. His own did not receive him. Let me, let me, just, let me just have fun with you just a little bit, if that's okay. 
How many of you are, are visiting in from college or from, from another city? You're visiting mom and dad or you're just visiting home today? Let me see your hand. You're visiting. You live somewhere else. Hold your hands up real, real quick. Let me, I've got a few. How would you like it? How would you like it if you showed up, Jonathan, and your mom and daddy said, we don't want you. You ain't welcome here. There ain't no room for you here. Ain't no room for you. How would you other folks like it if you showed up to that place that you grew up all your life and they say, we have no room for you here? I couldn't imagine feeling that. But Jesus came to his own, and his own did not receive him. His own did not receive him. They wanted nothing to do with him. Now, here, here's the kicker. These folk, Sister Mary, that had nothing to do with him, they should have known better. Think about it. They should have known better because they already knew he was coming. How'd they know that, Pastor? I just preached it to you last week. Three, three, over 300 prophecies was given on the birth of Christ. They knew about it. They read about it. God had told them over and over and over again, many, many times in many ways, that, hey, I'm coming. I'm coming. But how would you like it if you showed up <laughs> and mom and dad or grandma and grandpa and family members say, you're not welcome here. We have no room for you here. The third thing we learn, that when you look at Jesus, Jesus' humiliation started very early. Jesus' humiliation started early and it continued to the very end. Matter of fact, the Bible says he was born outside because they wouldn't let Mary and Joseph come inside. During his ministry, he told his disciples this. He said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Anybody remembers that scripture, right? We have no place to lay my head. He owned nothing but the clothes on his back. And when he was crucified, the soldiers even gambled for them. Think about it. When he died, they buried him in a borrowed tomb. He had no burial insurance. He had no place to be buried in a borrowed tomb. When you look at Luke chapter 2, verse 7, I don't know about you, but I've read it this way sometimes. See, see if y'all can identify with me. Sometimes I've read it this way. The Bible said, because there was no room for him in the inn. Anybody ever read it that way? But that's not what the Bible said. I've read it that way many, many times, Brother Charles. There was no room for him in the inn. But the Bible says this, there was no room for them in the end, they, meaning Mary and Joseph, was also outside of the inn when Jesus is born. So what happened? To him also happened to Mary and Joseph. And really, when you think about it, that's a pattern for the future. Why is that? Because many years later, Jesus challenged his disciples. He told them in Mark chapter 8, he said this, If anyone would come after me and deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. If we're going to follow Christ, we've got to deny ourselves, right? We've got to take up the cross 
and we got to follow the Lord. So when Christ calls us, he bids us to come. Now, this is the part we don't like. He bids us to come and die with him. Now, on the surface, when you say that, you say, Pastor, I ain't ready to die. I don't want to give up my life, but you're missing the point here. If I'm going to follow after Christ, I'm going to die to myself. Jesus is not asking you to lay down your life physically and be killed. There's some even today being killed for serving the Lord. But you're not that way this morning, thank God. We're able to sit here this morning and give God glory and give God honor. We don't have to worry about police coming in here even today and arresting us for serving the Lord. But there's some places today they got to be careful because they'll be arrested. They'll be persecuted. They'll be put to death simply by serving the Lord. Do you have that kind of tenacity in your life to say, hey, no matter what, I'm going to serve him. But the Lord is asking us to die in ourself, to die to my flesh. Now, let's just be honest with us today, okay? We're just here. Let's just be honest with us. Sometimes, Sister Lawson, boy, my flesh is tough. It gets in the way. There's times my flesh, it really rises up and gives me a, a fit at times. Anybody else in that, in, that, in, that, in that same vein? There's moments my flesh wants to rise up. And as I heard some folks say before, punch some folks in the throat. Flesh. There's some times my flesh wants to rise up and get mad and ugly with somebody because they got mad and ugly with me. Hello? You've heard me say this over and over. There's sometimes my flesh wants to rise up in the car because people don't know how to drive. It's amazing to me that I'm the only one in Mississippi County that knows how to drive right. <laughs> and there's times that my flesh wants to rise and act up because that old sinful nature. But that's what the Lord has said. Look, if you're going to follow me, I've got to deny and I've got to die to myself and I've got to give God praise. I've got to give God glory. So the question is, what do you want to do with Jesus? What do you want to do with Jesus? I want ushers to get ready. I'm not finished preaching, but I want to do communion at this point. If you don't have communion, I want you to go ahead and lift up your hand. The ushers is going to bring communion. If you fail to get communion as you came in, if you don't mind, hold your hand up and the ushers is going to pass these out. Stay focused with me this morning if you don't mind. Sister Michelle, I don't know. I may, I may have missed you. Thank you so much. What are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do? Any in the balcony? Just raise your hand up. We have someone up there. What are you going to do with Jesus? The world has no room for him. But will you and I make room for Jesus today? Will you and I make room? Will you and I make room for the master? What are you going to do with him? Will you make room for him? Has everybody been served?
Thank you, guys. Lying in a cradle within the stable is the first gift, when you think about it, of Christmas wrapped in swaddling clothes. Over the, ne over the next 33 years of Jesus' life, think about this. Over the next 33 years, there's a lot of things that will take place. Leading from the stable to the table that the Lord served communion with his disciples. There's a lot of things that took place in between that span. In many churches, we used to have one, there was a communion table, and usually on the front of the communion table it says this, this do in remembrance of me. And so when we come to observe the ordinance of communion, it should be a time of remembering, of course, of all the differences that Jesus made in our life in the past, in the present, and in the future. Because from that little baby in a manger to the time he was at the table, there was a lot of things that happened, Sister Kathy, for us that you and I could obtain. When he was at the whipping post, he, were, he was there simply because you and I could experience healing. That's it. Hallelujah. I believe with all of my heart if we examine ourselves today and we take and we receive communion in the correct manner, I believe that God can heal us today. I believe it. I believe that if we examine ourselves today and look at our hearts today, while we receive communion, God can save us today and set us free. Mary's little lamb was the first truly spotless lamb. Matter of fact, the Old Testament centered on the sacrifice of unblemished lambs. Jesus, the Bible said, was to be the once and for all spotless lamb. Hebrews 10 and 10 said this, By the which will we, are, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. He was God's gift for our redemption. It was made possible through the birth of of the Lord. When you look back in the New Testament and you study this out, Jesus, the Bible said he wanted, he desired to have a few moments, a few last hours, if you will, with his disciples. He had been with them some three years. He had poured into them. Sister Kathy, he had give himself to these 12 guys. Matter of fact, even up while they were sitting at the table, he was trying to pour into one while the one was trying to betray him. And he was still trying to love him. Still trying to give him. Pour into him. Can I tell you this morning, you may be here this morning and you may have that Judas spirit. What are you talking about, Pastor? I'm talking about somebody that's not serving Christ. Oh, you didn't mean it to, be ha to happen that way. It's just That's just where you are right now. Can I tell you, the Lord is still wanting to love you today. The Lord is still wanting to give back unto you today. He's still wanting to set you free today. And he desired to have a few hours with his disciples to just tell them some things that was going to be taking place. He wanted to tell them about the way that he was going to show forth his death. 
He's going to tell them about the death that was going to be made possible by the birth of the Lord. It was made meaningful by his life, and he was born to die that we might live. He wanted to have communion with his disciples. He wanted them to think often of him. He wanted them to walk as he walked. He, wanted, he wants you and I to, to do the same thing as well. How do you know that, Pastor? In 1 Peter 2 and 21, the Bible says, For even hereunto you are, you are called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Let me ask you, are you following the steps of the Lord today? Are you following? I'll just be honest with you. Sometimes I, I mess up. Sometimes I get out of following the steps of the Lord because of my attitude and because of things that just happen, you know, with us humans. And I have to align myself back up to the presence of the Father. But I'm so thankful that mercy and grace helps me. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. 26, Bible says, For as often as you eat and drink and drink this cup, eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim the Lord's death, the Bible said, till he comes. When you think about those three words, till he comes, that is some, that was some powerful words. Jesus spoke of his coming kingdom. He who came into the world will take us out of the world. Amen. Hallelujah. Before the coming judgment. And so you and I, this morning, as we partake of the bread and the juice. We partake of the Lord's Supper. We are to remember the promise of his return. The Last Supper really wasn't the last. Why do you say that, Pastor? Because according to my Bible, the next supper is the marriage supper of the Lamb. Hallelujah. And the table is already set. Ain't going to be no stable in those days. It's going to be a table full of the blessings of the Lord. Revelations 19.7 said this, it tells us this, let us be glad. Let us rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb is to come. And his wife had made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is in the righteousness of saints, in the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Right blessed are they which are called into the marriage supper of the lamb. Amen. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but how many is ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb? Amen. And so if you take your wafer this morning, the Bible tells us very plainly, very explicit this. When you take this bread, and as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. Would you take your bread? Open up your cup, if you don't mind. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your body, Lord, that was broken to secure our salvation today. Thank you, Jesus. 
Likewise, the Bible said he took the cup and he blessed it. He told his disciples, as you drink this cup, this is my blood being poured out for you. I've often thought, and I don't know if I can fully get a grasp on this or not, Brother Adam, but I've, I've, I've tried to think what would it be like. Let's just say that if you and I were picked to go in front of a firing squad, and at the very end, the commander of whoever was going to give the order to shoot would say, okay, we've changed our mind. It's Christmas. We're going to let just one of you die. I'm going to spare the other. And if you would say, Pastor, I'm going to give my life for you. Be free. I've often wondered what it would feel like as I'm standing there watching somebody be executed so that I could go free. Say, Pastor, that's, that's not what the Lord done. Oh, yes, exactly what the Lord done. It's exactly what he done. He died so that you and I might have life. He died so that we could live today. And what's so amazing to me, we choose to live in ways that's contrary to the, what the Word says when the Lord gave His life for us. And so wouldn't it be to my best interest then to do my best to live for Him, to serve Him? Oh, I'm going to make mistakes. I know that, but I'm going to do my best to serve Him. And the Lord said, when you take it, just remember my blood was being poured out for you. It was being poured out for you. You do it and remember me. Would you take your juice? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Would you bow your head with me and as we pray this morning. Father, we thank you for the life that you have given us. We thank you, Lord, for the price that you paid on Calvary. We thank you, Lord, because you saw worth in us. You saw worth in us today. You saw worth down through time. You came and you lived among us. You was born exactly the way your father wanted you to be born. You've given us life today and we honor you for that. You've given us life, and we bless you for that. And Father, I pray there's anybody in the house today that they don't know you as Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that they give their heart to you right now, right now. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. But as your head is bowed and your eyes closed, those of you that's in this house today, let me ask you, are you ready to go? Should Jesus come today? Are you ready to meet Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Or is there some things in your life that needs to change? Is there some decisions you need to make? Is there some things that you need to take care of before the Lord comes? Say, Pastor, that's, I've heard this all my life. He's not going to come for a long time. Well, I've heard it too. But I'm not going to get caught empty. I'm not going to get caught unaware.
I'll be ready when Jesus comes. Can you say that today? Can you say that today? Father, in the name of Jesus, in this balcony on this main floor, if there's any person, man, woman, boy, girl, if they're lost today, right now at this moment, let them give their life to you. Let them give their life to you today. Let them surrender unto you today, Jesus. Let them surrender unto you. Use us, Lord. Use us. Self away. Give, it, give yourself to him all over. I give myself away so you can use me. I give myself away. I give myself to you, Lord. I give myself to you so you can use me. I give myself to you. We give ourselves to you. We give ourselves to you so you can use me. Father, take us today. Take us in the name of Jesus, we pray. And we'll give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. The story is told of a little boy who was chosen to play the innkeeper in the annual children's Christmas play at his church. When the night came, all the children were in their places and they all had their costumes on and they were awaiting nervously for the play to begin. The girls was dressed as angels and the, all the little boys was dressed as shepherds and wise men. And while the little girls talked and they giggled and the little boys, they poked at each other with their shepherd staff, they're just being little boys, you know. There was one little boy that was chosen to play the innkeeper. He had only one line to say. His line was supposed to be that when Joseph knocked on the door, he was to open it and tell them, I have no room for you in the inn. The play began and parents and grandparents wondered about how their children was going to do that night. and Was anybody going to mess up and get out of character? You know those, those children's plays, how they can be. Everything proceeded as planned and at the last, that big moment came for the innkeeper. Joseph, he knocked on the door and the young boy, he opened the door and he saw Joseph and this very pregnant little girl that was standing in front of him. And something about the sight of Mary touched this little boy's heart. And he blurted out the show-stopping lines. And he said this, There is no room left for you in the inn, but you can share my room. Some people thought when he said that, that the Christmas pageant was messed up. They thought that the Christmas pageant was ruined. Others thought it was probably one of the best Christmas pageants there ever was. After the play was over with, this little boy told this director who was frustrated. She came to him and was asking him about why he said what he said, and this is what he said. He said, ma'am, I just couldn't send Jesus away. I had to find a place for him. 
Now, that's sort of comical and it's sort of cute, but I want you to think about it a little bit. There was no room for Jesus that night in Bethlehem, and the question is, are you and I going to make room for him this year in your heart? Are we going to be like that little boy in that play? I just couldn't send him away. I just had to find some room for him somewhere. Got to find some room for him somewhere. My prayer for you today is that may God grant each of us the faith to believe and to open our heart and say, Lord, there's room for you in my heart today. There's room for you. Amen. Amen. Father, we give you thanks. And we say to you, there is room. There's room. There is room in our heart for you today. There's room. So, Lord, you come and you abide with us. You come and you abide with us, Lord. And you live with us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.